Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott and Holman Podcast, the original Houston Cougar Athletics Podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, my co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott and Holman Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. And welcome back to the Rock Chalk podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today we are getting back to our two episodes a week. You know, set up here. We have a fantastic show for you today. We're not just doing previews anymore of the opponents, so let's go ahead and enjoy that. We have a camp wrap up, fall camp wrap up that I'm going to be doing, and then after the break, I'm going to actually get to be joined by friend of the podcast here, Parker Fleming, Stats Four on Twitter, talking a little bit about what he does, advanced stats wise. Um, and kind of what you, how you can use those sorts of things, the different types of advanced stats and what those things can tell you. And of course, what they cannot tell you as well. So really great episode, really enjoyed the conversation that I did have with Parker. Um, so make sure you stick around for that afterwards. But before we do that, we need to go ahead and give you guys an update. We've been focusing so much on the opponents over the course of the summer, um, because I'm going to tell you right now, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot of information there that we don't have that we could have, that we can get while they're going through the summer camp and everything, but wanted to wait to focus on the Jayhawks until after fall camp was done. It is done. They had the open practice this last Saturday. Um, I am not going to dive completely all the way into this team because I do have getting lined up right now um, a KU season preview. It will be very similar to what we've done with all of the opponents. Uh, we, we do one of those every year. 
Um, normally it's with someone like Scott Chasen or uh, Jesse Newell. Unfortunately, Scott's not available, and Jesse is no longer on the Kansas beat. He is now covering the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, we do have, I, I am in the process of figuring out exactly who's going to come on, but we will be doing our season preview for the Jayhawks to kind of run through everything, talk about what you can expect from this team and all of the fantastic um, you know, expectations for this year, uh, the way that everybody's played at camp. But big stories that come out of camp, um, obviously, I think number one is the fact that Jalen Daniels has been named the starter. And while Lance Leipold did kind of take a step back, um, you know, and did leave the door open for Jason Bean to make a push to become the starter. Um, I don't think anybody honestly expects Jason Bean to beat out Jalen Daniels for the starter. The way that they've talked about him in camp, the way that they've talked about him, you know, kind of in all the press conferences, everything that they've they've been able to kind of have those conversations. It has been very clear that Jalen Daniels is the one. Jason Bean is a not that far behind him, but is definitely still behind him for the number two. And then they have a bunch of other quarterbacks that they are very excited with. The big themes, though, to come out of this camp is exactly what you would expect from a Lance Leipold team. Uh, look, we, we have talked as part of the countdown over on Blue Wings Rising, kind of everywhere that we can think of. We have had those conversations about Lance Leipold and the consistency that is required to be in his program and the consistency that that is expected from his program itself. Um, you know, they are continuing to do that. The competition is still there. Um, I, I don't think that I heard a single um, position where there was not a mention about, you know, consistent play across the course of the entire fall camp and the competition that they have seen. And, and really, I think that's what this, you know, the, uh, the, the big contrast that you're going to see going from last year to this year, it really comes down to that competition and the number of people that they have on the roster. You can say whatever you want about how this team performed last year. I don't think you can argue, though, that while the top-end talent on this team was very successful when they were able to be in there and be at full strength, um, there was an issue with depth. You know, Any kind of injuries was a huge deal for this team last year. There was an issue as well with those, those depth pieces understanding what it is they needed to do, and that was because most of the teaching reps went to you know, a lot of the frontline starters to understand what it is that Lions Leipold expected. Um, but there just was no depth. You know, I, it was it was the overall position group uh, previews where I looked at like linebackers and then safeties and cornerbacks. And I had not realized until I dove into these numbers. And again, if you have missed any of those, um, you know, we, we finished up with the final positional preview as part of the countdown yesterday. Um, I'm sorry, on, on Sunday evening and that was for the special teams to talk about all of those positions but um you know the defense especially you know the the back end of that defense the linebacker safety and corner they were so thin last year in a position that is so important to be able to rotate bodies because of just how easy it is for them to get tired out you know how far you're having to run on every individual play the, the coverage abilities the ability to do a bunch of different things from those positions Kansas just didn't have the bodies for it last year they had a lot of um a lot of minutes that were eaten up by a very small number of players. And you saw it. Kansas suffered greatly when either with any of those players came out um, or when those players finally got tired. And so there was a lot of issues, I think, with, you know, you look at the ratings that a lot of guys got last season. You look at the way that this Kansas defense graded out last season. And there was a huge effect, I think, just from the fact that they did not have enough people to go around. So, um, you know, they hit the transfer portal really hard this year, brought in a ton of talent. 
on the defensive side. I am very interested to see how all of that kind of plays out. The the information we got from fall camp, what you saw in the open practice, like everything so far is talking about just how quickly those guys have come in. They're expected to contribute, um, you know, because they had so many guys that were here from last year that can just keep continuing to develop inside of this offense and defense. Um, they haven't had to teach everybody what they what they need to do this year. And so they've been able to focus more time on those new guys coming in, which means that those new guys are going to be able to, I think, be productive a whole lot sooner for this team. So, you know, I expect this year to be a lot different. Um, even though we talk about consistency, we talk about, you know, like that's what Lance Leipold's big message is. Um, you know, it's not necessarily consistency just for the sake of consistency. You know, bringing in new guys to increase that competition and then figuring out which players can be the most consistent in their performances, be the most consistent in their efforts. And I think that's the key there is that the biggest takeaway that I got from Lance Leipold, from Andy Kotelnicki, from Brian Borland, from every single one of the coaches on staff here in their press availability, and even from the players when they were talking, it's about the ability to do the same thing, give the same level of effort day in and day out, you know, as Leipold said in the final press conference, um, you know, on the, on the, on the 17th, where he was talking about, like, he wants to see the same intensity from his players, whether they're up by 30 or down by 30. And that right there tells you the mentality they're looking for. Um, and what you can expect from this team. Yes. The results are not always going to be there because, you know, no matter, no matter how much we want to think this team has improved, there are some really good teams with some really talented players across the big 12 and Kansas is going to play a whole bunch of them. Um, you are not always going to have um, a talent level that would be needed to overcome or to that, that can be overcome by just that consistency or that intensity. So Kansas is, you know, I'm not crazy enough to think that Kansas is going to, you know, go nine and three or anything like that. But I do think Kansas is going to stay in a lot more games. Um, you are not going to see an instance where, you know, this team is getting just so tired by the end of a game or multiple, you know, a after multiple weeks that they just lay a complete egg because they just don't have the energy for it. You know, if Kansas is going to lose big, I, I it feels much more to me like it is going to be a that team just schemed a whole lot better, had exactly the personnel they needed. You know, Kansas is not going to lose because they don't have enough people. They will potentially lose and potentially lose big because the other team is just better. And that's going to happen, especially when you're rebuilding a program. So um, definitely be excited for this team. I, again, I've already been called out multiple times for my crazy predictions, um, you know, how I think this team is going to do. But we will look at that next week, get a, you know, official predictions from the group that we have over on Blue Wings Rising and then official predictions of the podcast here of where we think Kansas is going to go ahead and actually finish. So, um, you know, look, I, I can see a lot of great things for the Jayhawk team. I can see a lot of not so great teams that because of situations that are outside of their control, it really just depends on how all this comes together. But make sure you guys are tuning in later this week. We will have our final opponent preview. Um, we're going to have uh, Scott of the Bosco Boys podcast. Bosco's Boys, I'm sorry. Let me make sure I actually say that correctly. Uh, Scott from Bosco's Boys will be joining us to talk about the Kansas State Wildcats. Um, and hopefully, well, hopefully for him and all the K-State people that are not very happy with me, he can talk some sense into me or at least let me understand why they are so high on the team that they have there um, and why so many other people are high on that team because I'm going to tell you, I, I, don't, I don't see it. And maybe after that conversation, I will understand it, whether I agree with it or not. So, but... That will be later this week. We do have Parker Fleming coming up here. But before we get over there, 
just one additional thought. There's been a lot of other stuff that's kind of been happening around the program. Um, you know, talking about, you know, f- football's not the only sport to get going, um, but Kansas has some some big recruits coming in for KU basketball. Um, you know, there's a lot of activity as recruiting is really ramping up this week for that. Um, Kansas, obviously, coming off of the national championship season, is going to have a lot of opportunities to really press that. Uh, I am excited for what Late Night in the Fog is going to bring later this year. There are just a ton of opportunities for Bill Self and the rest of this team to capitalize on the fact that they won the national championship and to capitalize on just the fact that they have probably one of the best programs, um, you know, around. Also, dropping earlier today, um, you know, big announcement that Kansas has hired two new uh, staff people to deal specifically with NIL. Um, I believe it's one to kind of oversee the entire program and then one to work more directly with trying to help set up actual specific opportunities and help coordinate those. So um, we will talk more about that kind of as I get more information. I'm going to be completely honest. I, I definitely looked at it. I looked at what uh, what those people had done and nothing really struck me too much. I will be much more interested, I think, to see what kind of programs they bring in, you know, the way that they kind of approach this. It will take some time, I think, for you to see a real difference in the way the NIL space works. But this is the way that college football and college sports in general are moving, bringing in these consultants, bringing in more people to kind of help manage these kind of relationships, to manage all of the, uh, you know, the the entire circus that goes around NIL at this point. Um, you know, and, and again, I'm not trying to use that as like a negative word, the circus. You know, there is a lot going on. There is a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of juggling that has to happen to get that to work successfully and to be an asset to the university instead of a distraction. So I am very excited about the fact that they filled those positions. They've been teasing that for a little bit of time. Um, I will be interested to see, you know, whether this is focused mostly on football and basketball or if we are going to see a bunch of the other sports involved as well. I sure hope, given the way that they've been talking, that this will be a nation, I'm sorry, a university-wide initiative as opposed to just... Um, you know, focusing on the quote-unquote big money sports. And the Kansas Jayhawks are not the only ones making some big changes getting ready to head into the year. Yes, that's right. Unfortunately, we have some sad news coming from a sponsor here on the podcast, Home Field Apparel. But first, Home Field Apparel is the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, you name it. They have fantastic vintage college designs for more than 125 different schools. Um, sad news, they did announce that Big New Saturday, the wonderful subscription service that they have been doing for a really long time, four full seasons, um, is not going to be renewed. It is not coming back. Like most TV shows, it lasts for about four seasons and then it's run its course. So, unfortunately, we will not be able to benefit from those huge reveals coming out every single week with a great deal but you can still get a fantastic deal fill out that wardrobe get all of the vintage college designs that are absolutely fantastic that you need in your life head on over to homefieldapparel.com use promo code chalk 12 you can get 15 percent off your entire first order and all orders over 100 dollars have free shipping again Homefield Apparel ending Big New Saturday after season four, but that does not mean that the good deals are going away or that the good designs or new new clothes coming out, new designs, new stuff is still going to be coming out from them. So make sure you head on over homefieldapparel.com. Use that promo code CHOCK12. You can get 15% off that entire first order. Um, other news for the Jayhawks, uh, Commissioner Brett Yormark actually visited campus on Monday. Um, to kind of take a look and meet with the, st- with the staff, meet, meet with coaches, meet with 
the student athletes. Um, from everything I've seen, it was a it was a great visit. You know, a good opportunity for him to kind of see what Kansas brings to the new conference um, and see what we can actually do to help put the conference in as good a position as possible. Um, you know, I have been very vocal to say that hey, if if the Big Ten ever comes and decides to that they want Kansas, you would be stupid to not go. But you cannot count on it. You absolutely do everything you possibly can to make the Big Twelve as strong as you possibly can. One, for if the Jayhawks are here, super long-term, but also, two, even if you do end up leaving, you want this conference to be as strong as it can be when you leave. You want it to be a good conference that's going to stick together to help Kansas, you know, moving forward. Um, you, you want it to be able to launch you as opposed to you trying to escape from something that you could have done a whole lot more to make it very sustainable. So, um, regardless of what that looks like in the future, whether Kansas ultimately gets a call, you know, quote-unquote call-up to the Big Ten, um, or, you know, a, a different conference or if realignment comes again and all of a sudden, you know, Kansas finds themselves as having to help to lead the preeminent number three conference in the nation, because I don't think this Big 12 is going anywhere. The real question is just how much money are they able to make um, and how close are they able to stay? Are they able to stay within reasonable you know, distance where they can actually still see the Big Ten and the SEC as opposed to them being so far ahead? of everybody that, uh, you know, it's a, it, they might as well be playing different sports. So we will be very interested in following that and kind of seeing what Commissioner Yormark does. Um, you know, there's still realignment rumors swirling. Um, you know, Pac-12 is still working on their big on their, their media deal. The Big 12 has already started theirs, um, you know, in terms of opening up negotiations and talking to ESPN and Fox and all of those people to try to figure out what is out there to get some real numbers to see what we might be able to expect. So a lot of that's going to depend on those numbers. Obviously, that Big Ten media deal getting announced was a huge deal, a huge, um, you know, domino that fell in what still has to happen to figure all of that out. Um, I don't, again, I don't know what the what the actual implications are going to be for the Big Twelve in the short term. I do think ultimately there are still some big questions about, you know, whether that's resetting the baseline or whether that is really kind of getting us into a point where most of the money has been moved or been used up for the two big conferences that everybody is really paying attention to, um, you know, TV wise. And then the rest of the teams, including the big 12 are trying to just figure out where else they can get money from. So it will be interesting to kind of see which way the negotiations take at this point. I think the PAC 12 will give us kind of that first indication. Um, even if it's not really a true indication of what remains out there in the market, because ESPN is probably the only legitimate bidder, um, you know, unless Amazon or one of these other streaming services wants to go all in and, and pay them a bunch of money to basically take all of their content. So it will be very interesting to kind of see how all of that goes along. And then finally, before we get over to talking about the advanced stats with, with Parker, um, did want to, you know, other sports have already kind of started their, their year. The Kansas soccer team has already actually played two games to this point. Uh, they did take an opening night loss to Ohio State. One nothing um, again at Rock Chalk Park, and then they follow that up on Sunday with a one nothing win over Northwestern. Um, so they are one and one on the season. You know they are one and one against the Big Ten. They have another Big Ten game coming up later this week on the twenty fifth um, at seven p.m. Uh, up in Iowa City, playing against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, so it'll be very interesting to kind of see them. They have three Big Ten games to start the year. Um, if they can come out two and one, you have to be really happy with kind of the way that they start. This is a team that is expected to take a big step forward this year. Um, you know, the soccer team is. And so it'll be interesting to see how quickly they can get going and how much noise they're able to make them, you know, 
this is one of those things where this program and all of Kansas athletics has taken a huge step forward recently. And under Travis Goff, I think they have a lot of the the support that they need and a lot of the resources they need to keep it going. So um, other teams that have started to this point, the only other one really to, to talk about so far would have to be women's volleyball. Um, they have not had an official game yet so far or an official match, but they did have their exhibition matchup. They won. They, they swept three straight sets against Drake, um, you know, at home in Lawrence. They also will be starting this weekend on Saturday. I'm sorry, on Friday, uh, they will be out in Salt Lake City, Utah, to start a three-match a three match set uh, in the Utah Classic. I believe that, uh, yeah, Utah is hosting that. That is in Salt Lake City. They will play Utah Valley on uh, Friday morning. They will play Utah, um, the, the University of Utah, at, on, uh, at, at 8 o'clock on Friday night. And then they will play Loyola Marymount. Uh, in the afternoon on Saturday to finish up three the three-match slate there. So a big start already for these teams as they are getting into action. Um, you know, football will be starting here pretty quickly as well, but tons of stuff happening. We are in the middle of a brand new season of Kansas Athletics, so enjoy all of it while you can. Make sure you get out to as much of it as you possibly can. It is definitely worth it. Um, you know, over on Blue Wings Rising, we are going to try to cover absolutely as much of it as we possibly can. Um, still have a very small staff over there, so we are going to, you know, unfortunately, there's there's just so much going on with the university, we can't cover everything. But if there's something specific you guys want us to cover, whether it's in print or here on the podcast, make sure you do reach out to us. Um, you know, you, you, you can either jump on the Discord that we have for Blue Wings Rising. You can contact the email here. Contact me on Twitter, either personally or here on this site or on the Blue Wings Rising Twitter um, all of those links are in show description here so that you can actually find all of those. So, But, again, we want to bring you guys the coverage that you want. So if there's a sport, if there is a, a story, if there's something going on that you want us to talk more about, let us know so that we can go ahead and do that. But I am going to go ahead and throw it to a quick break. And when we come back, I will be talking with Parker Fleming um, of you know, Sassavore on Twitter. Uh, he will be telling us about the system that he has put together to talk about college football teams, but then also just kind of talking about advanced stats in general so you can get a better understanding going into the year of what all these numbers mean that are going to be thrown around that you're going to you know, get bombarded with on a whole bunch of broadcasts. So um, stick around. Parker Fleming will be here. When we get back, we will be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all. And yes, I want you to listen to the Tortillas and Takes podcast presented by 1012 Network. If you are a fan that is of a team that has 12 wins going to the national championships every year, that just loves to talk about all the success that your program has had, well, then you're probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you are a fan that just likes to really be in it every week, and, and really have a real good shot at winning it, you're also probably not a Texas Tech fan. However, if you have really high highs and really low lows and really drink quite a bit, you might be a Texas Tech fan. So come along and party with us here at Tortillas and Takes. We're going to sit back, crack open a cold one, eat some tortillas, and, and as always, we're going to stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am joined now by Parker Fleming. Uh, he is at Stats of War over on Twitter, and he is a... Uh, Bet US analyst on the college football show. I completely messed it up, Parker. We were just talking about it. Correct me. Where did I go wrong there? Totally, totally fine everywhere. I think the the appropriate nomenclature is I'm an internet dude. Um, right oh yes, now, yes. But uh, aren't we all I'm internet an dudes? On the Bet US. The Bet US. There we, we go. Are, we are. 
Um, I'm on the I'm, I'm an analyst on the BetUS College Football Show, which you can find on YouTube uh, at noon central on Monday. Uh, excuse me, Tuesday and Wednesday throughout the season. Perfect. Yeah. You know what? You st- you told me I was getting ready to do it. I was like, I'm going to screw this up. So let's just lean into it. <laughs> screw it up. Let Parker fix you know my failings. As I'm guessing, we're probably going to uh, find here in the show. We are here to talk about advanced stats. Um, Parker, obviously you do some advanced stats. I've had you on the show before to talk about the efficiency margin stats that you've been doing for the last few years here. But, uh, you know, this is kind of one of those times of college football where advanced stats have exploded and there's, you know, advanced stats for pretty much everything, anywhere you can find them. Um, there are a few different ways to do it. And I kind of wanted to talk about what it is that you do, how you do it as well. But, you know, when you think about the two different schools of thought for how to do advanced stats, right, there is look at individual players and then aggregate that up to get your idea of what the entire team is going to look like, or look at the team and the units and the makeups of those individual units themselves and use that to figure out what a team is going to look like. The efficiency margin, how how is that system set up to be able to evaluate what you expect from a team? Yeah. So, I mean, again, there's, you know, obviously a million ways to skin a cat, right? And um, I, I, the way that I, where I kind of live is in between the play and the drive level. Um, I think that I would love to do individual level rankings and there are some absolute sickos who who make that happen. Um, but one, I think that uh, college football has a limited sample size and um, there's a lot of variation with the individual players. And so trying to estimate a true player effect is really, really difficult. And um, that also takes a lot of like work on the data aggregation and maintenance end. And uh, and so I, I kind of let that trickle into the the play-by-play and the, and the drive level rankings. And so what I do is basically, I, I, I'm an economist by training, Andy. And so I'm not a data scientist, right? I, I, I'm not saying, how do I you know, throw variables in the computer and get the best number out. And I just care about the best accuracy against the spread. I care about, you know, the best, um, the best decimal place number or whatever. I start with a model. And so I started with looking at kind of what makes a college football team successful in my mind and, and back that up with some historical data. And basically it comes down to four components uh, on, on the football field. Um, it's uh, early, early downs, uh, passing efficiency is is really important. Teams that can move the ball through the air early um, are, are much better and a much at a, at a much bigger advantage um, than late downs. Kind of finishing, you know, a lot of college football, more so than the NFL game, involves playing for third and short, playing for fourth and short. How often can you extend drives through converting those third and fourth downs? Um, and then I look at uh, opportunity creation. A stat that I, I use is is called Eckel, named for a Navy fullback, and it basically looks at the ratio or the frequency of um, productive drives in a game. How often did you get a productive drive relative to how often your opponent got a productive drive? And then I look at points per those efficiency, or excuse me, efficiency on the drives, points per those quality possessions, per Echol. Uh, and that kind of gives us a an idea of how often do you create opportunity as a team? How often do you capitalize on that opportunity? Um, because re- realistically, Andy, football is a lot more like bowling than, than we give it credit, right? generally in most games, except for one or two, one or two, you know, variation of one or two possessions, I'm going to get a certain number of possessions. You're going to get a certain number of possessions and what you do with it matters. It's like frames in a bowling match. And so that's where that drive level stuff comes in. And then incorporating the play by play data, I get a little bit finer idea of how sustainable is how you move the ball. Um, Last year, a couple of times I picked like Purdue to upset Michigan state, Purdue to upset Iowa and uh, Ohio state to absolutely pants Michigan state got a lot of flack for the, those, those are all perfect examples of good quality teams that run the ball well, can't really defend the pass, 
and, and can't really move the ball in early downs. And it's like, Hey, the formula says, uh, this isn't, this isn't a winning recipe for, for, for a football game. And, and, and so the upsets were, were correct there. So I think that my model really reflects, um, gives us a really accurate depiction of what's happening on the football field and kind of the building blocks for success in college football. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's definitely kind of one of those things where it is, it is difficult to figure out what the right input should be, right? Like where you should be pulling that information, what's actually telling you and being predictive and, and helping you to kind of figure out what's going on there. Um, kind of to that point though, because because you are talking about using historical information, um, how much like obviously with with coaching staff changing and, you know, players changing and things like that. How much of the like prior years information do you actually bring in? At what point is is the rating that you're doing based solely off of this season that's in progress as opposed to trying to add additional historical context? Yeah, so I'm super agnostic about my priors, and that's a really fancy way to just say. I'm, I'm, I'm super, um, not strongly committed to my preseason rankings at all. In fact, I, I don't release a list because my model is super matchup specific. And so uh, teams change their tendencies from year to year. Their personnel changes from year to year. I, I find it to be actually misinformative to, to release a, a single number of my rankings. That's not to say that anyone who's doing it is, is doing wrong. Um, but because mine is so, so matchup specific, I prefer to keep it to the matchups. And, and again, I, I don't want to be a betting guy. I don't want to be a numbers guy. I want to be a football guy who uses these numbers. Um, and uses the spread to put pen on paper and kind of understand what's going on and what's watched for the matchup. So that being said, as I'm predicting like season win totals and looking at the relative strengths coming up, um, I, I will incorporate recent success. Um, I, I used a mixed effects model um, that basically controls for the quality of coach, the recent history, and, and kind of isolates that and says, okay, uh, reasonably a team with this level of returning production, um, this, this kind of coach continuity and playing this kind of schedule is going to do about, about this, this well. And so that, that's where I start, um, early in the season, I'll do a lot of manual adjustments to my numbers, uh, just because there's, there's some things that I, I don't really care to, uh, I, I'm okay on the fly saying like, I know about this quarterback or that and, and kind of adjusting those, but um, starting, you know, after, after everybody's played about two games, I start to get a pretty good idea of who's going to be who, especially because my model is so matchup dependent. And so it's not, Hey, did you go beat FCS Fordham by a thousand? It's, Hey, did you, um, did you play your non-conference opponent and like actually move the ball efficiently and, and, and capitalize well, even if they're a bad opponent. So um, I, I'll use up to, uh, I try to go across recruiting cycles. So I'll use like four to five years of data. And, um, but those priors get phased out really, really quickly um, just because they, I mean, they're, they're, they're good starting points and you have to start somewhere. And I think it's better to start there than to start um, with the assumption that all teams are equal. And then um kind of let the let the data and let the season play its course. So by by about week six, I mean I'm I'm very, very close to hundred percent end season data. Yeah, well, and that makes sense. I mean that's that's half the season basically. So I I think it definitely makes sense by that point at least. Like you you hear about Ken Palm and right like one of the things where he's talking about his system, I think he said it's like forty percent of the way through the season is when he has pretty much phased out, you know, the preseason expectations. And and I, I mean I, I think that there are there are two schools of thought, right? Like obviously people that evaluate and, and I think a lot of that depends on how granular you can get with individual players and those sort of evaluations. But people that, that you know, put weight in what they have preseason and think that the preseason stuff is like the least biased information in terms of a, a, a supposed objective way to evaluate players and teams initially. And then there's people like myself who it's like, you know, 
preseason seems to be a lot based off of reputation as opposed to what they've actually done on the field. And so, like, for me, I would be fine if we didn't have an AP poll or anything like that until, you know, week four of the football season or something like that. So we could actually see some of these teams and how they played and then come up with our, you know, preconceived notions of how good teams are going to be. Similarly, on, on, on the basketball side, like, I don't really like when I used to run a poll over at Rock Shop Talk when, uh, you know, like, we would wait until after the Christmas break to start the poll because then you actually have a good set of data that you can evaluate those teams off of. And so I, I definitely agree that the sooner you can get to that, the better. Um, but that, that does obviously beg the question about the preseason stuff. Um, you know, talking about your characteristics of the different teams, it's like looking at those, how, how do you come up with those sort of evaluations and what kind of things, um, I guess, help the most in trying to boost a team up in your, in your original preseason thoughts, even though you're not like wanting to keep carrying those through and they have to like actually show how do you come up with an initial ranking if what you're doing is so based on matchups and the way that they actually perform that stuff on the field yeah so the the way that i kind of think about it is i want to look in the rearview mirror and then think about what what might be different coming forward this this year so if i look at um i mean i look at like kansas last year kansas did not move the ball great Consistently, I have them at about 72nd in uh, offensive EPA uh, per play expected points added. That's just a good efficiency metric that says let's take down distance and yard line and, and tell you how important or how valuable a play was. It's a little bit better than yards per play. For instance, um, on first and 10, Andy, three yards is bad, right? right? But on third and one, three yards is great. And so EPA just kind of equalizes that and helps us understand context a little better. So 72nd in offensive EPA, but they were 35th in um, raw offensive passing EPA. Kansas at times was able to hit the big play with through the passing games. Um, uh, Jalen Daniels can sling it. Oh, yeah. uh, Lance Leipold's reputation, the coefficient that goes into the model from his kind of consistency at Buffalo and his developmental cycle suggests that they will build on success with continuity. They have continuity, 82% returning production, I think. And they were able to move the ball through the air a little bit last year. Um, and I really think that um, that gives them a foundation to Im- to improve this year. So uh, I look at Jalen Daniels coming back, Devin Neal coming back, um, some rearrangement in the wide receiver room, but but their ceiling is is what it is. I don't think I have a, a change about their ceiling. Their their mean just kind of changes. And so I look at how efficient were you on passing um, last year? I saw points points per echo. They were in the top fifteen. Uh, although they were 123rd in echo rate. So they really did not create opportunities well. They relied on the big play. I expect both of those to regress. So this season, they'll be a little worse in terms of points per quality possession, but that's because more of their quality possessions will be across the 40 as opposed to breaking off the big play for a touchdown, which is better in, in the sense of opportunity creation. Right. Those 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 big plays are flukes, right? You want to be able to move the ball consistently. Um, and so just kind of talking through that, I also like to split things between early downs and late downs. And so Kansas last season, 76 and early downs EPA, right? Not good at all. You, you first and second down. You want to be getting ahead of the yeah, game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it was bad. They were, <laughs> they were point zero one. So they were just just about even on the early downs. On late downs, um, including third and fourth downs, they they were thirty eighth and fourth uh, third and fourth down success. They were able to find some random success. Some of that was Jalen Daniels running for his life. Um, some of that was was Devin Neal, you know, creating space, and um, some of that was just chucking the ball and making it work. That that to me is not a sustainable mix. So again, this season when I'm thinking about them. 
I, I'm going to believe, you know what, because of their passing ceiling, I think that their early downs EPA should increase. Their third downs is going to decrease. And you've got to account for that kind of selection, right? They're not a worse team because they're worse on third downs this year. That just means that they're, they're better on first downs. They're getting more third downs and they're getting third downs that are, that are less advantageous situations because they're facing more of them. And so that selection issue really comes into how I think about a team. All that to say, I kind of have an algorithm that says, all right, based on these characteristics of early downs passing, sustainability and like your opportunity creation, plus your continuity in the coaching staff, plus your continuity with your talent, plus your history. Let, let's see what a reasonable team would would do for this season. Yeah, I mean, and I really, I think the point for Kansas that wants to improve in a metric like this is you got to make sure that the history is not dragging you down as much as it probably is in, in, in what you're looking at. But I, I, I do wonder, because kind of the way you were talking about it, you know, there was a clear delineation, I think, in the way that the offense played when you looked at Jason Bean in the first nine games versus Jalen Daniels in the, well, I, I guess in the first eight and a half games versus Jalen Daniels in the last, you know, three and a half games. Um, how much does that sort of thing, big personnel changes in the middle of the season, and change kind of the way you think about that? Or how much does the trend going into the end of the year, especially when a team that is returning so much production, like how does that factor into your thoughts for them for the next season? I definitely weight games a little bit heavier. Um, it's not like, you know, I did a baseball model earlier this season and basically I'm throwing out games 30 days old, right? College football, I still, because we have such a small sample size, I still need to keep some of those games. Um, but I, 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 you know, Kansas first, uh, who, who are the Sycamores, Illinois State or whatever in game two, especially with a program like Kansas, doesn't mean that much at the end of the season, right? And Kansas definitely played a lot better. Um, so my weighting kind of the, the end of season ranking is not just a strict average of every game, right? It definitely leans a little heavier towards the edge, like you're towards the end, like you pointed out. It also to, to doing that kind of helps us understand like the developmental nature of success in college football for 125 FBS teams, 126. Now that James Madison's here, um, college football success is peaking every three to four years and just hoping to not bottom out the other years. Right. If you're really bad, it means just being better at the end of the season than you were last year, every year, and then hoping to not drop off kind of over, over the summer. And so um, that, that captures that developmental nature of success in college football. Um, and, and as far as like individual personnel and the switches and everything, I let the data capture that. I'm not doing individual thing. I'm not, um, I tell people these are not betting advice. These are just informational, right? And so if you know that a quarterback's out, and you don't believe my numbers, yeah, man, like bet with that information or believe that information. I, I, I just look at the data as in the aggregate as I can and can't really keep up with that. So the personnel changes are only revealed in, hey, they changed the personnel. They started playing well. Their, their rating improved. Yeah. So so before we talk specifically about Kansas and like diving into their rankings and, and kind of what you see from them coming up this year, I, I am kind of curious because because you've, you've, you've talked about a lot of things that your rating system does. What kind of things is it not intended to do? Like, I, I know that, that there's I think one of the biggest problems, right, with the way that that so many advanced statistics are made is that there is a lot of talk about what you're supposed to do with those, but not a lot of talk about what it's really bad at doing. And that's just as important when you're looking at a statistical model as like what it's good at doing. So like what what types of things are not being captured or would not really get any additional insight if you were to try to use those, you know, use your rankings for those sorts of things? I think that's like my favorite analytics question I've ever been asked. That, that freaking rules, Andy. That's awesome. Um, I think that my numbers are not intended to perfectly predict the outcome of a game. Um, my numbers are not um, not intended to say I think that um, 
team A is is seven and a half points better than team B. And if you're a fan of team B, you suck. Um, my my numbers are not to dunk on other teams. Um, they they they. I, I think in bowl games, I, I have a little bit of trouble because I do use so much in season games, and especially like the last couple of years, bowl games have just been an absolute crapshoot. So, um, I think that. At the lower end, um, my numbers do not have a good handle on how a bad team who rushes a lot and is not successful at rushing versus a bad team who passes a lot is not successful at passing. It doesn't have a good comparison for them. Like my numbers were a little too high on Texas State last season. And granted, they, their wins and losses looked good down the, down the, down the stretch. But I, I, it was kind of like, ah, this quality of component, I, this just doesn't look right. They're just getting kind of lucky here. And, and so there's some, there's some issues with that. Um, I, I, again, I try to go with the positive definition. And so let the reader understand, but like, these are designed to create a reasonable expectation of what a team, two teams with similar profiles, as these two teams would do on the field. And often, Andy, I can go back and on, on a Sunday, I love doing this, especially with games where my numbers are way off and saying, hey, I predicted this to be a seven point game and it was 24 points. Let's look at what happened. I'm uh, specifically FAU and Charlotte last season, I said was going to be really, really close. And I remember on Sunday going back and it was like an absolute blowout and seeing, oh, Charlotte had a first down inside the 40, you know, seven times and didn't score on four of those. That's not anything that we that, that that's way out of line with what's going on. They had an interception or Louisiana Monroe Liberty is like Liberty through three goal line interceptions or something absolutely absurd. And so the numbers were way off there. And so I, I, I love my numbers because they're not they're not perfect and they're not intended to um, look at my record. Like what my the BetUS show will tout our records and, you know, do all that. But I, I really try to not have my reputation based on a record um, because I want to learn about football. And so I think my numbers are not the best you know, projection system in terms of absolutely getting the spread 100% correct, uh, ATS beating Vegas, whatever. My numbers are, are, are great for let's create a reasonable expectation about what we can see on the field and then let's compare reality to our expectation and we learn something after it. Well, well, and I think the biggest thing, like the biggest moments, right, that people remember in sporting events and why sports are so exciting is when things go completely away from expectation. So if you have a much better understanding of what that expectation is, then you can appreciate even more why the things that are happening that are so fantastic are actually happening because you understand why is it, you know, why is it weird when, you know, someone throws three goal line picks? Like, yeah, obviously that, that stopped, you know, those scoring opportunities, but that is so far outside the line of what you would normally expect to see that it's like, it's, it's an incredible statistic all in and of itself. And so I, and, I and definitely I agree. can yeah. go back to that game and say, Hey, I need to go look at those plays. Like what happened there? And I think one of them was like Malik Willis tripped and the ball flew out or something, you know, it's just something yeah, yeah. fluky. And then one or two of them was like, Oh, he's forcing the ball in the window he's trying to be a hero because he doesn't feel like he can rely on his plays. I learned something about the football game, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that is kind of the important thing, why it's also good to know what your model is good or bad at, because it allows you to get the proper context to learn about the game. But it also like each of these advanced statistics that you look at, give you a different way, a different lens to view the game at, to view the sport at, and gives you that opportunity to learn new things as long as they're being used correctly. I think the biggest problem that a lot of people have and why there's so many people that are still against advanced statistics is because they just don't understand what it's intended to be used for and what it absolutely cannot do. And when you try to use it for something it absolutely can't do, then it looks like a bunch of junk. And that's how, the way that a lot of people try to treat them. So, um, right. so, so with that, 
let's go ahead and take a look at Kansas. You kind of talked about, you know, the trend for the Jayhawks coming into the end of the year. Um, obviously, they had the big upset win against Texas down in Austin and then two really close games against TCU and West Virginia to end the season. So kind of kind of looking at that, you know, the lens of Kansas with that little bit of momentum, as you talked about, they have 82% of their production returning. You know, Lance Leipold's big message is consistency and building on that coaching staff and what what kind of year or I, I guess how does your system evaluate a Kansas Jayhawks team like that and what are kind of the expectations that we can can think of if we're trying to come up with a baseline for the Jayhawks this year? Yeah, so so one I will I know that you and I are, are not going for an hour on on Kansas preview, so I will plug my yeah. TCU podcast uh, Purple Theory. We we did a kind of an outsider's view to every team, and we spent like an hour and a half. Our Kansas preview every year is like our favorite one for whatever reason. Yeah, we just yeah, no, super deep and and from what I understand, it usually does pretty well because it's it's either the morbid curiosity of like how is Kansas this bad, or it's that you know people that want to have hope. It's like what can I get from that preview? you that's going to give me some hope that they might actually do something good this year yeah yeah and so we 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 looked at a couple things i think that that are that were really important for what is like what constitutes improvement for kansas because they're not i i so my numbers have them at about 2.8 wins mean with a a lower bound of about 2.1 or excuse me 1.9 and an upper bound of about 3.6 so we're we're looking at not an amazing season by by regular college football standards uh, uh, standards, right? That's that's just kind of the reality yeah. of where Kansas sits. They're not going to win the national championship. I don't think any Kansas fans are. Oh gosh, are no. That's no. on that. Um, but a couple of things that I think are, are really important, especially when you look at the offense, is um, you know De- Devin Neal. Can we? Um, they're returning everybody, but I think Malik Clark up front. And so they, they have Devin Neal. Can they get that engine going earlier in the season? And can they get that engine going when teams are planning on Devin Neal being a, a vehicle um, for, for the, for the offense? So I think that's a big deal. Um, if if you look at uh, kind of stylistically in, in what they've done on defense, they 12.9 yards per successful play allowed was about 60 uh, 60th in the nation last season on defense. That's, middle of the road, that means that they weren't just getting killed by big plays, right? You'd actually, they they were giving up sustained chunks of yards. You want that to come down substantially. And against them, uh, teams were rushing uh, or passing 128th least against Kansas. I have this little model. It takes down distance yard line and says, what's the average team doing runner pass? Most teams are rushing against Kansas, um, more, more than anyone in the, in the, in the nation. And so the, the deal there is respect for Kansas means this season they're going or pro- progress for Kansas this season means they're going to lose a lot of games. I, I currently have a bet on them over two and a half. I think that's a, I think that's a smart bet to win those three games. Yeah. But in those games that they lose, can they shift that from other teams are just running the hell over us? And, and absolutely dominating us to no teams have to game plan and they have to run their offense against us. I want Caleb Williams. He's not here anymore. I want Caleb Williams to have to throw for 400 yards to beat me. I do not want them to run and have seven successful runs and then beat us. Right. And so I think that's a, that's a big deal for Kansas is can you induce other people to not treat you like a bye week uh, I've talked in the past about not being a meme. Um, but I, I think that that expected rush rate against is, is really, really important to say, 
do teams game plan for Kansas or do they just say we're bigger and stronger? We're just going to run over you. That, that to me is going to be the kind of the turning point for Lance Leipold. Can I get opponents to respect me? Yeah. It's actually kind of funny because kind of to that point, the way that, uh, that Kansas got absolutely creamed early in the year was that uh, teams came out and threw on them early before the, the cornerbacks and safeties really kind of locked in and figured out what to do about the passing lanes. And then by the time that they actually started to figure those out, the defense was so tired because they were so thin. Um, especially at the linebacker position, which opened up rushing lanes all over the place. And so what you actually would look, would, would see if you go back and look at a lot of those box scores is that the passing numbers in the first half are just absolutely atrocious for Kansas most of the time. And the rushing numbers in the second half are absolutely atrocious. And that really, I think, played into the amount of depth that they had, the kind of issues that they had there. That's why I, I'm intrigued by what this defense is going to do this year because they brought in a lot of guys in the transfer portal. They really shored up the linebacking position so they have a full two-man rotation for three linebackers, whereas last year they were running four linebackers essentially the entire year. They were having, you know, they, they were running five safeties overall in for the entire year as well last year, and they would be having safeties coming up and helping linebackers as well. So, like, they were trying to do a lot with a very small number of people. Um, it will be interesting to see how well the defense is able to stay this year in games and keep themselves fresh. Um, I think that was right. kind of the biggest transformation. They used the transfer portal really well to add a lot of bodies and really get to the point, I think, where they they're not going to have the same players out there for, you know, 35 minutes of a 40 minute right. game. So it'll be very, very interesting to see what they're able to do and how they're able to to go ahead and actually get that moving. And I just realized instead of 40 minute game and thinking basketball. But anyway, um, I think you I think you got my point. So <laughs> can they be good at something? Yeah, right? especially on defense. So last year, on offense, they were they were better at passing than they were at rushing. Even though Neil came on later later on in terms of efficiency, on on defense they were 120th in EPA per pass, 130th in EPA per rush, 124th in early downs EPA, 128th in third and fourth down success. Pick one, be good at it. Right. right? Either be good against the pass and let people kill you with the rush, or be good against the rush and have people try and beat you with the pass. Be good on early downs and have you know have, have get get crushed on those late downs. But progress for this defense is they're not going to be like a top seventy, a top eighty unit, but they they could be good at one thing. They, Kansas defense has not been good at one thing for for years now, and so if if they can build on that continuity, if as as I I suspect that depth will really help a lot. Um, I think that they they will be a team that's that has a, a big split between like pass and rush efficiency, but that's progress because that's them being better at something and and taking a step forward in something. Yeah, and and on the offensive end, like I think what a lot of people, especially those outside the program that don't really follow it very often, what they were struck by looking at like the spring preview and and all of that was that it seems like this team has focused a lot on the rushing game and the short, you know, wide passing game, which last year they kind of tried to do a little bit of everything to, to your point and weren't really great at anything other than Devin Neal getting good rushes when he had good blocking. Um, I do think that the continuity on the offensive line will help a lot. The fact that Jalen Daniels has gotten a lot more confident in his reads, you know, he has had a lot of success at the end of last year and you can actually see the difference. Like I, I was one of those people saw Jalen Daniels when he was playing as a true freshman, you know, in that COVID year, or I'm sorry, Sorry, just before the COVID year. Um, and like you could tell he had the potential, 
the problem was he was literally running for his life less than two seconds after every single snap. So he didn't have an, a, any kind of chance to really figure out what he was supposed to do. You saw the confidence coming at the end of last year. It will be very interesting to see how they're able to put it all together. And like you said, there's some very measurable things that we can look at and get to the end of the year. And like record is probably not the most important. Well, it really is not the most important thing for this team. I think the expectations for this team are just that they are improving, staying close in a lot of games, you know, hoping that you have more games like the Oklahoma and Texas games from last year where good teams you're you're competitive against than, you know, games like the Baylor game or or um, I guess the, the Texas Tech game. Right. Where, where teams where you aren't necessarily extremely out. Um, classed in terms of the talent that you have. But it was very clear in those games that those teams knew exactly what they wanted to do and knew exactly how to exploit Kansas, and they just weren't ready for it. So I think the end of the year, you can look at a lot of these statistics that you're going to have and really get a sense of how successful a year was this, and you can almost throw the record out the window. Um, you know, I get the feeling that I'm, I am going to give you a chance before you get out of here for the day to tell me just how crazy I am because I did predict that Kansas is going to go to a bowl game, that they're going to go six and six and make it to a bowl game. Um, what kind of percentage are we looking at based on your numbers? Like how, how crazy or how big of a, of a hit does this have to be for me to actually be able to, to uh, collect on that? Okay, so are you are you familiar with the uh, like basic statistics we talk about, like the normal the normal distribution? And, right, right. Um, a random variable centered around a mean with a certain spread, and right. How, right how many standard series. deviations away from the mean am I on this? I was just going to go. The empirical rule is just sixty eight percent of the data is within one one standard deviation. Right. Ninety five percent of the data is within two standard deviations. Kansas making a bowl this season would be. Um, almost three standard deviations outside of my numbers. That's not um, as bad as I thought it was going to be. I thought you were going to say something like six so, standard deviations, and I was going to be like, oh, man. Oh, no. So, But it's that means that there's less than a 0.015% chance that it happens. So it's not impossible, but I, it, it's not something I would hang my hopes on this season. I like Kansas over two and a half a lot more than <laughs> well, I yes, like Kansas yes. making it bold. You know what? It's one of those things, though. A, uh, a very bold prediction. You know, you have to take some risks that you're going to be wrong. I will if note. You can't get excited about the football program in August, Andy. What are you doing? Well, right? like, yeah, I, that's very, I, very I true. That. But I, again, whenever I bring this up and someone tells me that I'm absolutely crazy, I do have to point out the fact that I was calling Kansas beating Texas for over a year and a half before it happened. And I am still convinced, and nobody can convince me otherwise, that, you know, if Kansas had actually gotten the opportunity to play Tom Herman-led Texas in that last season before he got fired, that Kansas would have fired two Texas head coaches instead of just one. <laughs> you love to see it. Uh, te Texas was too scared to play Kansas in 2020. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Parker. Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. I really appreciate you coming on kind of talking about all of that. I, I love diving into, into statistics. I do it all the time for my own day job. But, you know, I think I do really think it gives us a lot of great information about the sports that we love watching so much. So if people want to get more of that, if they want to follow what it is that you're doing, what are the best ways for them to do that? The best way is just following me on Twitter at Stats of War. That's kind of where you can um, – it's the hub for everything. If you want to check out some advanced stats, go to cfb-graphs.com. Uh, that's where I post some leaderboards. I'm working on uh, sprucing that up this week in advance of the season. And go to YouTube. Search BetUS College Football Show. It'll pop up. Subscribe. That helps me out a lot. Just get our subscriber numbers. Gary and Kyle, who are my co-hosts on that show, are so smart, super sharp football and, and betting guys. Great content. You, you definitely want to want to catch some of that too. 
And that's going to do it for us today. Parker, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. Subscribe so you can get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments, it'd be absolutely fantastic. If for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network. We have some big stuff happening over there. A ton of different podcast covering all the teams in the big 12 conference uh we have a few more that we are looking to add here shortly before the big 12 membership changes but uh you follow everything that's happening on the network over at ten12 network over on twitter um thank you to our sponsor here on the podcast Homefield apparel uh promo code chalk 12 gets you 15 off your entire first order but uh again thank you guys so much for listening parker thanks again for joining me and we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast This is Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I Also Hate Pit, joined by my brother, Jeremy J.N. Fiend Phoenix. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We do the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. If you love West Virginia University, you will love our podcast. If you don't care about West Virginia University, you will love our pop culture segment. It begins every single episode. You can join in the fun anytime, anyplace. Get at your boys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.